All right. Well, good morning, everyone. All right, I like that response. Nice and energetic. All right. Don't have to make you guys do it again. That's great. So, <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Jason, and I am the worship production leader here at Crosswinds Church. Um, I know you guys are like, all right, it's Jason. We're going to get a Luke, uh, break from Luke today. No. Um, uh, Pastor Ken has graciously given me the honor to continue in Luke. Um, and one thing I did want to point out is the fact that you're going to notice we've been kind of crossing over a lot. There's a lot to these verses here um, that we've been covering. And so we're going right back to a couple of verses that Pastor Ken talked about last week and continuing on from there. So I'd love for you guys to follow along. Let's go ahead. We'll read from Luke chapter 11, verses 45 through 51. And one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. All right, so I'm pointing something out first. Woe to you lawyers. This is not a ha-ha gotcha moment. This is not Jesus saying that, you know, all lawyers are soul-sucking, money-hungry, evil, conniving individuals. Uh, lawyers nowadays are much different than what was going on back then. A lawyer back in biblical times just meant religious one. Secondly, let's think about who Christ had just been talking to before this, the Pharisees. And he had just gotten done kind of telling them off for all the things that they had been doing wrong. And this is important because the lawyers followed the Pharisees. So they were subject to the same things that Jesus was saying. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, I see a message of extreme caution. So let's ask ourselves something. Who are you following? No, seriously. Truly ask that question. It may be easy to be like the scribes and the lawyers and say, well, I follow Jesus. But are you? Let's put it this way. If you were to ever have a moment where your relationship with Christ was not as strong as it is today, what's the first thing you're going to do? If your answer wasn't, I'm going to go read my Bible and get to know Jesus better, then we are just like the lawyers in this passage. You see, the lawyers were religious people, going to the temple regularly, talking about God and his word, and listening to their rabbis, the Pharisees. Now, these are all good things, but there's a big problem here. Their relationship with, with God was tainted by the teachings of those that they listened to. 
they did not know God well enough to recognize him when he was sitting there reclining at the table with them for dinner. Instead of reading the scriptures and knowing God, they had the scriptures preached at them without questioning anything. And there lies our problem. You can't have a a relationship with someone if you don't talk to them and spend time with them. If your relationship with someone is based off of somebody else telling you who or what they are, then you're never going to know who they are. And after all, it would be very easy for me to go up to Jeremy and just kind of start talking about Emil, okay? Uh, Now, I might gain some respect for Emil based on what Jeremy says. Or, who knows, I may lose some respect depending on what Jeremy decides to say. But all I'm doing is really talking about a meal with somebody else. I'm not getting to know him any better. And that's kind of the same thing here. When it comes to Jesus, we need to be going to the word because that's how we talk with him. Going into the Bible ourselves and reading what he has to say to us. And, you know, this also includes prayer and talking with Jesus. Anything where we are in direct communication with the Lord. Now, there are some amazing pastors out there who can be great shepherds for the Lord's flock. I mean, I think of people like Pastor Ken, like Andre, like Pastor uh, Jimmy Scroggins from down in Florida, even Louis Giglio or Billy Graham. They're all great examples of some great shepherds who we can find some guidance from. Now, Pastor Ken a few weeks ago mentioned how we have a choice. We can either see the light reflected off of another surface, or we can look at the light directly from the source. And seeing it from the source should really be the choice that every single one of us makes. But why? What is this choice? You might be saying, Jason, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I hear God's words preached. I see the scripture on the screens. So I'm getting the light from the source. I say to you, no. You're only seeing a reflection of that light. You see a small piece of the light, but not the whole beauty that it truly has. Jesus is trying to make that point here. He was asked, hey, uh, aren't you insulting us by insulting our teachers? And Jesus gave a resounding, yes, Woe to you lawyers also. You see, Jesus' heart was yearning for the lawyers to repent and to come follow him and to know his love. But instead, they chose the love of the Pharisees. They're choosing to idolize the word of their preacher instead of their Lord. Each and every single one of us can fall into the trap that the devil has for us. Yet, that trap can come from our leaders as well. Now, John speaks of this in his first letter. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, John tells us what every single person must do. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
Every spirit that, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So I'm up here right now telling you, asking you, even begging you to test anyone you listen to for guidance. As I'm preaching up here, you should be making sure that I am not speaking falsely. The same goes for Pastor Ken or Andre, the Louis Giglios and Billy Grahams. Everyone should be tested. Test each and every single one of them. If they do not confess and preach that Jesus came down to earth as the Son of God, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and rose three days later to prove that he truly was God, then that person is a false prophet. And God knows what he's given us. He's given us his word. And it is the most easily accessible piece of literature, especially in the first world countries like America. There's really no excuse for not reading your Bibles because God has given it to us. There's no excuse for following a false prophet because the word of God runs counter to anything a false prophet could say. And there's no excuse for ignorance if you do follow a false prophet. Proverbs 8 has some great wisdom for us in this. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare to her. Christ should be our ultimate wisdom. His words are better for us than a thousand preachers will ever be. And that's because by reading, we can see the context of what Jesus is saying. Now, if I had only picked out the part of Luke 11 that starts with, woe to you lawyers also, then I could easily twist those words to kind of fit anything. But by going in context of what we've learned these past few weeks and seeing how it all ties in, that's where we get the wisdom from. God's word is truly amazing. It has the ability to talk to us. And the context of everything in there is indisputable when you have the Bible in your hands. For example, a preacher might be able to take snippets of the Bible and try to tell you about how polygamy was a part of God's plan from the very beginning. They may uh, use references like King David, King Solomon, or Jacob, and how all of them had multiple wives. The thing is, it completely ignores the context of all the books that you take that from. You see, not once do we hear how God gifted these men multiple wives. We see them take multiple wives. In fact, we see how having multiple wives actually becomes a snare for these men and how much it hurts them. With Solomon in particular, it completely destroys his relationship with God for a while. And it can be so easy to fall into a trap of a false prophet. It took me a very long time for myself to even realize 
I had fallen for a false prophet when I was in high school. And that false prophet is something that wasn't entirely obvious. It was my history teachers with the devil whispering right behind them. You see, my history teachers, obviously, they had to teach us about the Crusades. They had to teach us about how these men from the Middle Ages went on these crusades for God, killing thousands in the name of God. And yet, the devil started whispering in my ear going, you see, this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God is. And yet, if I had a relationship with Christ during that time, I could have very easily told the devil, no, that's not who Christ is. That's not who God is. That's nothing, not even close. Because God does not wish for us to go off and kill in his name like that. It's just not something he wants. God is a God of love. He's not a God of violence. And this is why we need to be in God's word so much, talking with him, listening to him, and obeying him. I realize I'm saying something that's not really easy. Some of the people I've mentioned, some of the the great preachers I've mentioned, are incredibly smart. They're well-educated theologians, evangelicals, and preachers. But Sean Brasso said it best. Education does not mean infallibility. It should be stated over and over again. Advanced degrees do not automatically place a person beyond challenge or questioning. After all, it was the educated leaders of Israel who influenced the less educated, common Jewish people to demand Jesus be put to death. It only takes a few lies laced with bits of the truth to lead anyone astray. And our best defense against that is our own relationship with Christ. If we don't have one, then it's so easy to be turned astray by a book that someone else writes, a sermon that's preached to you, or even a piece of advice from a good friend. And only Jesus is the ultimate authority. Only he can tell us the path we need to be on. So the best way to do that is to have a relationship with him. Now, your relationship is going to look different than your neighbor's for sure. There's those out there that can sit for hours upon hours reading from the Bible. Some people will read straight through, and some people will sit in those hours on the same piece of text over and over and over again. And that works for them. That is their relationship with God. Still others may only read for a few minutes before turning to other aspects of obedience and worship in order to get their relationship closer with Christ. Maybe that's meditation and prayer. Maybe it's music. Or maybe it's something else entirely. So long as our relationship is rooted in the word, that's the important thing. Listen to music, absolutely. But make sure your time spent in music was inspired by the word. So you're rooted in it. Then we can make sure we continue to strive to stay in that relationship and not do wrong towards others. Now, verse 46 in Luke 11 continues with, For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. 
Now, this can be applied to us today. We should not be burdening others with their relationship with Christ. If you should read the Bible turns into you should read the Bible in one year and have it finished, that very well may be a burden that's hard for another to bear. I just said how some people may only be able to spend a few minutes before turning to other aspects. For some, that's going to be easy. They're already spending hours a day in the Word, and they'll probably have it finished in a, in a month if you really wanted them to. But everyone reads at a different pace. Like I said, that relationship with Christ is their own. And then there's some who can't read for various reasons. Education, medical conditions, whatever it might be. And that's why I'm so glad that audio versions of the Bible exist today. There's a way out there for everyone to be able to enjoy God's word. And truly, that's what it is. God's word is enjoyable. It's humans that can turn the word into a burden. After all, have you ever heard somebody say, well, you're not a good Christian if... Yes, I'm turning into the teacher from Snoopy and Charlie Brown, but that's the thing. It really doesn't matter what comes after the word if. There's going to be a burden being placed on whoever's receiving that message. After all, it's literally telling someone who believes that Jesus is their Lord and Savior that they may not be good enough. Yet that's completely contrary to what we know. God made each and every one of us worthy of his love, no matter what condition they may be in. That drug addict that you ignore on the sidewalk, the picture-perfect home and gardens family, the teenager who gets pressured into sex, and the person battling with mental illnesses, each and every person is worthy of Christ's love so long as they believe in Jesus and choose him as their savior. That's it. There's a term I want to bring to the forefront here. I hear it a lot in different communities that I've been involved in throughout the years. Gatekeeping. That's what being a lawyer is. The gates of heaven can swing open wide for any Christian, but the gatekeepers try and place hurdles in the way. Ah, well, I see you ate meat on Friday during Lent. You never signed up for a small group. Oh, and you, you didn't pray daily when you should have. Tisk tisk. Each and every one of these things tries to put a hurdle, a burden, a barrier in the way of a relationship with Christ. But all of those things are from man and not from God. It's exactly what the Pharisees were being told they were doing, doing wrong. The lawyers were going along with each and every one of these things. They were putting barriers in front of their fellow Jews. In fact, the lawyers in Christ's time were actually probably putting even harsher burdens. You see, they were being called to interpret the law, much like a judge might be in today's time. Uh, so, you know, they may have heard, uh, excuse me, Mr. Lawyer, but uh, can you interpret it, this law here for us? Ah, well, you see here, right, right here, it says, 
uh, anyone who cannot afford. So that obviously refers to how much money they have on them at the time of purchase. So everyone must empty their coin purse upon purchase, and if they have enough on them to afford a lamb, they must buy a lamb. Now, can you imagine if that's how things were done today? Uh, excuse me, uh, miss, I, I know that you wanted to buy this used car over here, but we need to look in your bank account. Oh, I see you have 45000 in your savings account. I'm sorry, but you can no longer have this used car. Now you have to buy this luxury, brand new car over here because you can afford it. Anybody else absolutely horrified at that picture? <laughs> because, wow, that would be crazy. There's families to feed. There's so many other things that that money has to go towards that may break the bank for that person. But what else were the lawyers doing that was so wrong? Let's look at verses 47 and 48. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Now, at first glance, you might think, that's not too bad. I mean, they're, they're building tombs to honor the, the people who have fallen. They're, they're, you know, giving them a proper burial. They're, they're doing the right things. But... Uh, you know, we kind of have to look at, again, who the, the lawyers were following. The Pharisees hadn't merely killed the prophets. They were continuing to do so. I mean, if you look at Paul, he was a Pharisee. He had a lot of zeal to persecute Christians and throw them in jail. He was so good at throwing Christians in jail that in the four years after the crucifixion, before he became Paul, he had quite the reputation. That type of zeal doesn't just appear. He had it before the crucifixion, while he was a Pharisee. And there were plenty of Pharisees like Paul, and there were plenty of Pharisees worse than Paul. And the lawyers were building the tombs. Everyone who was continuing to be killed during that time, the lawyers built the tombs. They dug the graves before the bodies had even hit the floor. They were, the lawyers were like soldiers following orders. And the Pharisees were their commanding officers. Yet that's not an excuse at all. We learned that even in the Nuremberg trials of World War II. I was just following orders. It was a defense thrown out time and time again. And time and time again, even man realized that's not an excuse. You are responsible for your own actions. So if a soldier is given an order to dig a tomb for a prophet that is yet to be killed, then just as Jesus said, that soldier is consenting to the deed of that prophet being killed. In fact, I was able to ask around and get some people's opinion on this. I asked, if someone listens to a preacher and follows a false prophet, are they responsible for their own actions when it comes time for God to judge them? Or does the responsibility instead 
fall on the false prophet. Each person I asked answered, it is the responsibility of the person doing the action. No one said it was the false prophet's responsibility. So my friends, we can't be ignoring things around us and not questioning it. That, has what, that is what has led to so much religious hurt in this world. In fact, I was talking with a patient of mine the other day. There was so much religious hurt there. She openly stated she was agnostic and was against organized religion. You want to know why? Because she had been told, you are going to go to hell for things that were not going to send her to hell, such as listening to music, period. Not a certain type, music, period. Using contraceptions, more, and even more than that. I fell on my face when I heard about the music because there is no less than five times in the book of Chronicles where the tribe of Levi, the priests, were given certain tasks. And thousands upon thousands of these priests were given the task, go worship by music. Even the Lord is saying that worshiping and listening to music is a good thing. So how could it be that someone was able to preach that to her? Well, that person probably had a lot of lawyers that are following them without having a relationship to Christ. Otherwise, someone would have been able to go, no, that's wrong, and here, here, and here is why that's wrong. In terms of music, I also hope that's one of those here's is the entire book of Psalms, you know, the book of poetry and music. <laughs> so let's keep going here. Let's look at verses 49 through 51. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. The early church was just so riddled with persecution. It didn't matter where in the world the church was. In fact, of the first 12 apostles, only John does not become a martyr. Everyone else was. Even the writers of Mark and Luke end up being martyred. From Philistine to Greece, India, Rome, and even all the way to Britain, we have apostles being murdered for their beliefs and their blood being spilled. All of this blood was going to be charged against the current generation that Jesus was talking to. However, we are certainly not immune to being charged ourselves. That's why it's so important for us to read God's word and to have that relationship with him. If you go through the Bible, you can see time and time again how God does not break any one of his promises. So we need to have full trust in him that he will be able to give us eternal life. I know John 3.16 is a powerful verse, but I want to point out the verses just before and after it in John 3, 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Twice in such a short amount of time, God gives the promise of eternal life. It's truly amazing because repetition in that time was kind of like our generation deciding to bold something, underline it, and then put five uh, exclamation mark points after it. It's emphasis. And God truly means it. And he wants us to have that relationship with him so we can have eternal life. But we have to have our own relationship and not let it be led astray. I know it can seem hard, but I want to point out that old saying, if Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. That's especially true of us today, isn't it? I want to read, but I just don't have the time for it. How many times have you uttered this to yourself or to somebody else? We need to choose to make time for Jesus. Because when we choose to put our hobbies, our relationships with friends, families, or lovers, our job, or anything else in front of our time with Jesus, then we're choosing idolatry. Technology has actually become our friend in this case. If you've got yourself a drive, I will challenge you to turn off the radio and instead pick up your Bible app, go to anything in the ESV, and hit play. Let the word be read to you. If you already like podcasts, it's just like, or audiobooks, it's just like it. <laughs> it really is. But it's just so hard to read because of the language. Okay, that, that's a good point. It sure can be. I know if you open up the King James Version and start reading thee, thy, thou, and thinest, and I don't know those words anymore. But that's the beautiful thing about having so many versions of the Bible nowadays. In fact, if you're really struggling, I suggest you stop by, ask my friend Jasmine in the corner back there, what version of the Bible she reads. Because it is so beginner-friendly, I promise you anybody can read it. And if that's too easy for you, get the ESV or the NIV. They're really good too. If those are still too easy for you, I challenge you to read the New King James Version. All of those are still versions that have eliminated some of the archaic language and replaced it with the modern equivalent today. So we're not losing anything translation-wise, but we're gaining a whole lot from it. And today, I want you to ask yourself about what your commitments are. Think about those commitments. And if you're putting them in front of your relationship with Christ. I want to challenge you to find out what you can move in order to make time for God in your life. Because God has done an amazing thing, ladies and gentlemen. You see, John let us know how ever since the beginning of time, God and the Word were together because the Word is God. You see how when you read the Word, you are with Christ, building that relationship? Then you get to see God's greatest sacrifice and miracle. How God sent His Son down to this earth so that He could take our place on a Roman cross and forgive us of 
all of our sins. It doesn't matter where we are in time or space. He forgave it all. All the sins of the past. All the sins of the future. It's all wiped clean so long as you believe in him and have a relationship with him. Then to prove he truly had all of that power and all of that authority, he rose from the grave three days later and promised us that eternal life could and will happen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. As the band comes up to play our final song, I just have to say thank you over and over again how you want to have a relationship with us and how when we have that relationship, we're going to see victory through it, victory over darkness, over false prophets, over Satan, over death itself. Lord, thank you for everything that you have done for us, everything that you do for us, and everything that you will continue to do for us because of your great love, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody here today who has not found your love, come down and speak to them, Lord. Open their hearts to you today, Lord, so that they can join your kingdom so that they can have your promise of eternal life and know that you will never break that promise so long as they choose you, Lord. Lord, thank you for proving your promises time and time again. And thank you for writing it down for us in your word so that we have that proof for all time. Amen. If you haven't uh, confessed to the Lord, I'll be right over here. Please come on down. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you need prayers for anything, please come up as well.